Hi everyone, I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Yamada. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast series from Association Briefings, where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. So Frank, I want to start the show a bit differently today. Ooh, how so? You know, we usually end our podcast by asking our guests some rapid-fire questions to get to know them better. But as an icebreaker to kick us off today, I thought I'd throw some at you. So Frank, I think it's time to stop, collaborate, and listen. You ready? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can we stop some recording after that? <laughs> okay, I, do I, I guess I don't have a choice, so let's go ahead and do this. <laughs> All right, here we go. So what kind of car are you today? Uh, the same car I am every day at the 2000 Toyota Celica. All right. What's the most unusual job you've ever had? I worked as an outdoor aquatic receptionist. And just a fancy way of saying I opened doors at a gym pool and drank smoothies all day. <laughs> if money weren't a worry for you, how would you spend your days? I would drive around the 2000 Toyota Celica drinking smoothies. Uh, I, I think I would actually go to just every cool sporting event I'd have tickets to. Nice. And if you could eat one food the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, the easiest question. Breakfast tacos. All day. <laughs> every day. I'll ask you what's on those breakfast tacos later. I'm a little hungry right now. But, you know, icebreakers work best when they can amplify the theme of a meeting, or in this case, a podcast. What I just fired off to you are actual examples from chapter three of Amanda Lee Kaiser's book, Elevating Engagement, which is packed with some really great ideas on how to create a thriving member community. You know, I think you'd agree, Frank, this, this book is taking off in the association community. I'm seeing chatters about it on LinkedIn. We've both heard people talking about it at a couple of recent events. I've even seen book clubs starting to, to discuss it a little bit more. You and I have had our copies for a couple of weeks now, and I, for one, love the information within each chapter. Because the challenge of member engagement isn't going away anytime soon, and maybe that's why this book is so popular today. I gotta say, it's, it's a quick and fun read. It has immediate, implementable ideas, and I'm so excited to have Amanda on the podcast today to discuss it further. Amanda is an in-demand keynote speaker for audiences of association leaders worldwide. As a researcher, author, co-creator, and innovator, she is at the forefront of exploring how member engagement is rapidly changing within professional communities. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thanks so much, Colby and Frank. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. We're really excited about this conversation. Frank and I have both read your book, jotted down tons of notes, so many dog ears, so many note cards sticking out of it. So we're going to get as much as we can out of this. But I want to start at a very high-level question. I think we'll set the stage for the rest of the conversation today. Amanda, why do you think member engagement has been such a challenge for so long in the association space? Gosh, there's, I, I want to answer all of the answers because I, I think there's a lot of things going on. But since we're talking high-level, let me give you two. Very quickly, there's two components of engagement. Uh, one component is value. And the other component is experiences. So when people get a lot of value and they have wonderful experiences, they want to engage. And I think it's easy for us to measure and define and provide value and talk about value. It's harder with experiences. So I think that's why 
engagement has been tough for associations, but not just associations, all organizations for a really long time because the experience part of it may be harder to do. It's a different mindset um, and something that we can lean to and into a, a big opportunity for sure. The other thing that's going on with engagement is it's the nature of engagement is changing. I, I think if you talk to people who have been in the industry for 10, 20 years, they might even look back on the good old days and say, you know, hey, uh, you know, 20 years ago, it really wasn't so hard to engage. It feels like back then people wanted to join and they wanted to be, you know, a meaningful contributor to the community. And what's getting in the way for a lot of folks now is their intention is that they do want to engage and they want to be a, a meaningful contributor to the community, but we've all got a lot less time. So there's there's a couple of environmental things working uh, against associations for us right now. Amanda, why is this book so important today and what led you to write it? So we're hearing a lot of associations are you know, they're struggling and they're worried about the future. You know, there 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 are these environmental forces that are acting on associations and they're saying, oh my gosh, there's more competition now. And it and it just, it, it seems like it's so hard to get people not only to join, but to volunteer and to want to submit papers and want to speak. And and not even that, it's just even, even just little things like reading our emails. It's hard to get people to open and read emails. And so engagement is just one of those topics that just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And through many discussions with association executives, and maybe even more importantly, through the nearly 500 member interviews that I've done, I felt like I had a sense of what engagement meant from the member point of view. And that's why I decided to write this book. And when did you start writing the book? And do you think it would have been written differently five years ago? Yes. So I started writing this book, gosh, it was more than two years ago. And I've, I got to tell you this little story that I don't think I've told anybody else. So I started writing this book right around the time that COVID started. And I was super excited. I had these ideas. In fact, I even had a title. It was going to be called Messages for Members. And so I had pulled together all of the research and done a deep dive into my research and started writing all of these fictional stories all about members and got it all done, all packaged up, probably a good 300 pages of text. And uh, and then I went shopping for a publisher and uh, signed on with a publisher, page two. They're, they're very lovely folks. And they took my book and they read it and they said, this is very sweet and it's not a business book. And, you know, my, my heart was broken. So... I thought, you know what, I signed on with these folks and they know how to make engaging books. And so whatever they tell me to do is what I'm going to do. So yes, I can, I can tell you that five years ago, I would have written a book that was not a book because I actually did that. And today I wrote a book that's actually a book, thank goodness, with all of the help from my friends at Page Two. I think we're going to really start diving into the content of the book right now. And I'm going to start at the beginning before you really even get into the steps of member engagement. You have this, this mic drop moment, and it seems to set the tone for the rest of the book. And you write, experiences drive emotions, and emotions drive members' decisions to engage. I love it, by the way. Can you explain what you mean? So I like to think that everybody has two sides of their brain, and one side is the logical side of their brain, and one side is the emotional side of the brain. All of us business people, we act like people are making decisions with the logical side of their brain. 
because we write emails that focus on logic and they focus on value and they focus on quality and price and all of those kinds of things. So so we sort of act like decision making is happening on the logical side of the brain. In reality, there's a whole lot of scientific research that has talked about, in fact, decisions happen on the emotional side of the brain. In fact, sometimes our emotions jump in, our memories of certain experiences jump in, and they make that decision before we even know that it's happened. And then we we sort of logic our the, out the decision that we've already made, right? And so I, I think this is particularly true when we're talking about things like being a member and belonging and community and wanting to be part of the tribe, these are super emotional things. And so what I would love to do and what I'm trying to help associations do is figure out more how to talk to that emotional side of the brain, because that's where a lot of those decisions are being made, especially when it comes to engagement. So yes, transactional decisions. So anytime uh, you know a, a store wants to sell you a pack of crayons, that's a logical decision. It's a transactional purchase. But when somebody wants to, say, get you to belong and maybe volunteer and lend your expertise, a, a lot of those are very emotional decisions. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you, you've conducted hundreds of member interviews. You know, when you ask a member about the value they receive from their association, what do they usually say? Yeah, so I'm so glad you asked this question, Frank, because it was a surprise for me. You know, when I started doing these interviews, I really was definitely very focused on value. You know, I thought like everybody that if we could just get the right value proposition together, if we could communicate our value correctly, if we could get all of the right benefits, then, you know, members would just come flooding in. So what happened early on, and I didn't realize it uh, right in the very beginning, but, you know, you do nearly 500 member interviews and, and things start to sort of sink into the old noggin. So what what I would notice was I would I would say, so tell me about the value of your association. And always, always, they would come back with a story and a couple of things about the nature of these stories. These stories were generally stories about when they first joined. So people they didn't matter if they were five year members, 10 year members, 20 year members, they remembered when they first joined. They remembered an experience from when they first joined. And this, the second thing they would do is they would tell a story about an experience. So I would ask them about value and they would tell me a story about experience. Uh, you know, one very common story is the very first time that they go to an annual conference. So, you know, somebody walks into an annual conference for the very first time. Often they're young in their career. They don't know anybody. They're going all by themselves. And so they walk into that conference. And you hear stories like I was standing there in the registration line and I kind of knew who the industry celebrities were. And lo and behold, one of them was walking through the registration line and that person stopped and talked to me. Me, can you believe it? You know, they talked to me and it was only a couple of sentences, but it was amazing. And that is the kind of association that this is, that, you know, anybody can talk to anybody and uh, and the people who are at the, the the top of their games who really have you know no time are so generously giving of their time to to everybody. And so those are the kinds of stories that you hear when you talk to members and talk to them about value. That you know what sticks with them are all of those wonderful experiences. Power of first, yeah. So you split the book into six stages of member engagement. For those that haven't read the book yet, those stages include observe, assess 
participate, contribute, collaborate, and lead. And I think what I love most about this format is that you can kind of skip to any chapter that you feel your association needs help with when it comes to the member engagement journey. And I think we'll hit on a majority of these stages, but let me start with the chapter on observing. Talk to our listeners about the value of email at this stage and, and maybe, maybe even the types of emails to avoid. Because as you said in the book, once new members start ignoring, it is very difficult to get them back. So how does email play there? Yeah. So another real big surprise from the research was that when people join, they're, they're super excited to get your emails, right? Because, and that wasn't, that's not the surprise, <laughs> but, uh, that, you know, so they join and they're very excited to learn more about the association. And so what they will do is they will read every single email that you send to them up until about three emails. So they'll read the first three emails that you send them. And during that time, they're busy observing those first three emails and they're making these decisions about what did I just make a good decision in joining? Uh, you know, is this going to be worth it for me? And, you know, all of those kinds of decisions. I, I think the, the welcome email might be the most important email that you send to your members ever, ever, ever. And there's a couple of opportunities there. So some associations, somebody joins and immediately the AMS starts triggering emails. Here's your login information. Here's your receipt. Here's your invoice. And administrative stuff starts flying at the member. And to the extent that you can consolidate it or get rid of it or at least redesign it to be something a little more engaging, you know, that kind of makes sense because that's one of your first three emails, this administrative stuff that, that gets it to them, that, that counts. Uh, the other is kind of the ubiquitous welcome email. And what I see a lot is like the welcome email that just has listens list. Here's here's our 37 member benefits. Here's our 55 curated you know articles for you. And oh, by the way, we've got a learning library of 132 webinars that you can watch on demand. And and so you just see, you know, bulleted list after bulleted list after bulleted list. And the new member is looking at this and they're saying, oh, gosh, uh, I, I don't really have time right now to click on one of these links and read or listen or explore any of this. But not only do I have not have time to click on the links and, and do any one of these things, I didn't even have time to read the email and figure out which links I should click on. So I, I think those are the kinds of emails that an association might want to steer clear of. And uh, in my book, I've got a couple of ideas for, for how to get over that hurdle of, you know, the ubiquitous email and start getting them that welcome email that feels like a warm, lovely welcome where they know that they made the right decision in joining. That's excellent. And, and as a heads up to our listeners, there's a great section in there on the type of voice that an association could use within the email to really drive some engagement and some interest in those emails beyond the three that we think they're going to absorb. In your assess chapter, you say that when people try to join a new community, they ask themselves, are, are these my kind of people? Uh, you offer several ways to help newcomers make a positive assessment of the association community, but what's your favorite way? You know, I think you can't underestimate the warm welcome, right? I, you know, really, um, it must go back to like our caveman days where, you know, if somebody just smiles at you and, and says, hey, you know, come on in and sit by the campfire, you know, th there's just something really nice about that. And so 
Everybody wants to know that they're joined the group of people like them. Everybody wants to know that they're going to be embraced and valued and and all of that good stuff. So I what I tell associations all the time is you can never warmly welcome new members too many times, you know, so you can welcome them an email and you can give them a phone call. And then when they come on to say your uh, new member onboarding event, you can welcome them again in the chat and, you know, there you can just keep welcoming them and they will appreciate it every single time it happens. Okay. Well, well now it's time to contribute. There's a section in this chapter on teaching people how to contribute. Uh, can you give us a, a quick example of how an association can do this? Yeah. So contributing is when you're starting to think about things like, you know, getting speakers or you want to interview somebody for an article or maybe you need volunteers for, you know, an annual conference or something like that. It's, it's sort of, you know, more more some of those low level ways of volunteering. I feel like there's like volunteering with a capital V and that's, you know, sitting on the board. And then contributing is being part of the community and, you know, giving of your your time and your ideas and stuff like that. So there's a bunch of ways that I outline in the book to really try to engage contributors. And I, again, one of the things that I hear from association execs all the time is, oh, gee whiz, it is, it is getting harder for people to uh, want to react to the speaker call of proposals. And we're having a hard time getting people to submit journal articles and white papers and, you know, all of that good stuff. So some of the mental gymnastics that are going on with members is they're trying to figure out, is this going to be worth my time? And if I do it, will it be, uh, you know, helpful for me and my career? And so I think there's a lot of things you can do. You can sort of cheer members on. So the people who are contributing, you can say, thank you. This was amazing. Great. You know, and, and let it, by virtue of cheering them on, you're allowing the whole other community to see that you really value those contributors. And I think, you know, one page that we could pull maybe even from podcasters is that whole like thanking and cheering people on. So at association conferences, for example, somebody will get up and they will introduce a speaker. And sometimes they'll just read the bio that's already there on the, the conference website. And uh, and then the speaker will come up and do their thing. And then there's some applause. With podcasters, a lot of times, you hear a podcaster go off script on that bio and they'll say something like, oh, I'm so, you know, I've been wanting to interview uh, you know, Colby for a million years and he's finally on my podcast, right? And that's just, you know, one example of kind of cheering contributors on. And, it, and it's a really lovely way to do that. So maybe that's just one way that associations could take a, a little tip from podcasters. I love that tip. Thank you. So once you get them to contribute, it's time for them to, to collaborate. And you say that strong relationships can form when people work together. You mentioned in that chapter that when we think of collaboration, we often think about how we can create opportunities for members to collaborate outside the association. What you're saying is that we should invite them to collaborate within the association. How can we do that? Okay. So what I've seen a lot in the research, especially with longtime members, is at some point in their career, they get to the point where they start having problems that can't be answered very easily by a piece of research or by, uh, you know, an expert on a stage. You know, they've got these really thorny, gnarly problems. It's, a, you know, problems with 
maybe like consolidation or regulations or, you know, something like that, uh, HR problems. And what you see in industries or even professions are, you know, that these problems are starting to bubble up for many organizations and many companies. And at that point, members who are, you know, at a certain point in their career start saying, okay, I can't solve this problem on my own. I'm not sure that my organization can solve this problem, but I sure would love to get together with a bunch of like-minded people and try to figure out how we could solve this problem together. And so a lot of times those members will find each other and they'll splinter off out of the association and maybe they form another association or maybe they just do something informally. What I would love to see is more collaboration happening within an association to solve some of these big thorny problems. So problem solving events or roundtables or hackathons or there's probably a million different formats. But for me, uh, Chapter 5 Collaborate is one of the more underused steps in the whole stages of engagement. And I'd love to see more associations take advantage of that. And it's just, again, it's sort of looking at the biggest, gnarliest, hairiest problems that are unsolved in your industry and profession and sort of gathering that group that's interested in figuring out how to solve those problems and opening the dialogue. So As association execs, we can open that dialogue for them or they'll get together, the members will get together and they'll open their dialogue on their own. Great advice there. And before we wrap up, I want to talk about the last stage and that's the lead stage. You say very engaged members tend to move into what you're calling the deepest engagement stage and become better leaders within the association. But I think we all know, we hear from associations all the time that recruiting those potential leaders certainly presents some challenges, many times some objections. So what's one or two ways an association can nudge a member to take on the role of a leader within the organization? You know, so here we're talking about volunteerism with a capital V. And I do think that they'll have to go through a lot of those other stages to get to that point where they where they want to volunteer. So one real critical thing is to ask at the right time. Uh, one of the things that I heard a lot from members who are part of chapters is they would join as a brand new member of the association. They come to their first chapter meeting and before the end of the chapter meeting, somebody from the chapter board would come over to them and say, hey, you want to be on the board, right? And that new member is saying, oh my gosh, I don't even know who you people are. And now you're asking me if I want to be on the board. So You got to make sure you're asking people to explore volunteer opportunities at the right time. And then going back to the whole time crunch issue is there's this very long path to get to be, say, on a board uh, and, you know, many years of serving and some positions, you know, take tons and tons of hours. And, And so I think more associations are starting to really rethink durations and the time that people have to put in and and really creating these micro volunteering opportunities, which a lot of folks are jumping on. So, you know, lots and lots of ideas around volunteer engagement. And it's a, this, this is a really exciting time because associations are really exploring tons and tons of ways to make that happen. Thanks, Amanda. We really appreciate you being a part of today's discussion. And there's actually one area we forgot to mention. It's the section on your book about participating. And we'll do that actually right now by putting you in the hot seat for the final segment we like to call the Briefings Minute. We're going to fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So just give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
Alright, here we go. I'm actually going to use one of your own icebreakers on you. What kind of car are you today? Oh my gosh. I am my very trusty navy blue Subaru Legacy. Very trusty car. Just plowing through getting things done. Nice. So you talk about snackable content in your book. If this content had a flavor, what food would you want snackable content to taste like? As soon as you said snackable content and flavor together, the image that just jumped into my mind is those darn penguins from, I think it's the penguins of Madagascar, and they, they always talk about cheesy dibbles. Let's, let's say cheesy dibbles. <laughs> Amanda, what is the presidential traverse and how does it relate to you? Okay, yeah. So the tra presidential traverse is part of the Appalachian Mountain Trail on the east coast of the United States. And it's in New Hampshire. So there's the presidential mountain range and the presidential traverse crosses about nine mountain summits like Mount Washington and Mount Adams and Mount Monroe. And uh, it spans 29 miles, I think it is, and 9,000 vertical feet. And a summer ago, my husband and my son and I hauled our carcasses over that 29 miles in three days. And I've got to say, I, I got a couple of blisters, but I did it. Impressive. All right, listeners, in case you can't tell, Amanda and her family are very outdoorsy. So I'm going to ask this question with that in mind. As a skier, if you could name a trail name, what would it be? Uh, Engagement Everglades. Nice. I'm, sure, I'm assuming that's a, a double black, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know what? I am definitely kind of a blue-black girl myself, but uh, yes. In your book, you reference Disney's Polynesian Resort and the Emperor's New Groove. So if my assumption of you being a Disney fan is accurate, what is your favorite part? Oh my gosh, it's so hard to pick, right? Because, you know, the Magic Kingdom is like the park we all grew up with. And, uh, oh, I love Animal Kingdom, but there's parts of Epcot that are amazing. I don't know, you, you, you got me stumped. It's really hard to pick between them. I agree. What was your most rewarding moment while working at Crayola? It was stepping out onto the factory floor and seeing how many crayons the company actually made. And so there would be the most obscure color, like, you know, Robin's egg blue. And there's a palette of those. I mean, millions and millions and millions of crayons. You, you just can't imagine the scale until you see it with your own eyes. It's, it's truly amazing. What's your favorite crayon color? See, that's another one. They're all wonderful, <laughs> right? You know, you got the pack of 120, and I mean, every you need every color, every single color. They're all equal. Nothing better than a new pack of crayons. That's right, yes. Amanda, many concerts have long delays while fans are waiting for the headliner to take the stage. What's an idea as an unofficial start that can help the concert goer experience? Oh my gosh, you know what? That is that would be brilliant uh, to fill that time. So so the you know the idea behind the unofficial start is that you're setting the tone and you're warming everybody up. So could you put uh, you know aspiring comedians into that time? Could you put aspiring musicians into that time? I think people would really enjoy having something to watch and something to do and you're then you're also as a musician, you're supporting that community. And I, I just I just love that idea. We we should advocate for this. Let's let let's figure out how we use that blank time in concerts. Amen.
And Amanda, that's the buzzer. If someone is interested in your book, of course, why wouldn't they be? Again, it's called Elevating Engagement. Where can they order it? Yeah, absolutely. So it is available at Amazon and every single one of your online retailers worldwide. Whatever your favorite online retailer is worldwide, you should be able to find it. Just look for Elevating Engagement or type in Amanda Lee Kaiser. So it's Amanda and then my middle name is L-E-A and then Kaiser like the role. Great. And if someone is looking for an engaging speaker for a meeting or conference, how can they contact you? Yeah, so you can find me at amandaleekaiser.com. And uh, I've got a, a speaking page there and a book page there, so you can find all kinds of information. And if you if you liked this podcast, take a look at some of my blog posts. You can sign up for the newsletter as well. Great. We'll put all that information in our show notes as well. Just make it easier for everyone. Awesome. Thanks, Colby. Yeah, and thanks again for joining us, Amanda. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Colby. And thank you, Frank. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help your association produce a podcast or a unique data-driven newsletter, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.